Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. to BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sean, for this big fight reaction show. Joined again by Lukey. Lukey, thank you so much for stepping in to cover Johnston. I mentioned some technical issues last week. He's had some technical issues further to that. So he's not been able to jump on the laptop and get recording these episodes. But he is working hard in the background covering our Dark Side of Boxing series that we're recording as well. So props to Johnston. He's missing out on having a good rant about some of the stuff that's been going on. But who else could I get on that would be great to talk to about the boxing at the moment and you are the best person to talk to Lukey so I'm uh, I'm glad to be getting you on for this reaction show and then we're also doing a bit of a shoot the breeze episode as well which will be released separately so excited to talk about it uh passing this over to you then what was your standout from the weekend just gone uh Montana love throwing a man I had never heard of named Stevie Spark over a ring rope it was very WWE, weren't it? If he clotheslined him over the top rope, like I watched it and I was like, "Am I really just seeing that?" I mean, you can start with that conversation if we want. That was uh, a boxer who just wanted a way out of a fight. To me, I've never seen anything like that. Maybe, maybe Andrew Galotta, maybe a, a Riddick Bow in the past. I think you know them two. I think uh, uh, sort of done these types of things in the past between one another, but I've never seen. A boxer as obvious as that really wanting to get out of the 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 the, the loss that he was taking essentially he was getting beat for me off off a guy that nobody really knows and it was like he was trying to do whatever he could to end that fight i mean that's how i perceived it but how did you perceive that for those who didn't watch this fight which if you cover boxing you have to assume that more and more nowadays with the scintillating matchups we're getting you have to assume 70 or 80% people are not watching it, but they have a commute. 
and they're assuming I assume they're just tuning into the show to kind of hear boxing stuff because they're not really watching it anymore because the matchups aren't exciting. Montana Love got dropped, was in his hometown. He gets cut after a very hard fifth round. The sequence of events when he gets cut is strange to say the least, where he literally looks at the doctor and says, I can't see, which that should have called the fight, but somehow it didn't. Then proceeds to ask the doctor, how bad is my cut? Which that, to me, also should have probably stopped the fight. The minute after that weird exchange, he literally just grabs, clinches, and puts a forward pressure, as a golfer would say, a forward press when you putt. If you're a good putter, you know what I'm talking about. Until Stevie Sparks flips out of the ring. It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. To be honest, it was one of the strangest things I've ever seen as well. I just genuinely don't know, like what possessed him to do what he did, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I would have just maybe said to the referee, look, you know, like he said, I can't see. Why didn't that fight get called there? And then maybe he could have just walked away to his corner, you know, rather than try and continue on throughout what was clearly uh, an issue that was bothering him, that he he really didn't want to be a part of that fight no longer. It's probably the strangest thing from the weekend, like... It's something that we start in the show with, which is not normal for these shows, because we normally talk about like the biggest fights or the biggest outcomes, but it is one of the weirdest things I've seen in the sport for, for quite some time. So it felt quite obligatory to talk about that first on, on this particular show, but I'm not going to give it any more airtime because it was what it was, and if you haven't already seen it, then you should go and check it out, and maybe you can voice your own opinions on social media about what you think really happened, or or just the whole debacle of it all. There's been many debacles this weekend, of course, which we'll come to throughout the show, but I just wanted to focus then back on the UK scene then, Lukey. We were talking about it in the preview about... Natasha Jonas, her fight uh, with Maria Eve Decare. Uh, turned out to be a pretty decent affair. I enjoyed watching the bout. I enjoyed the fact that Natasha Jonas dealt with a, a, a much larger opponent and, and was landing the cleaner shots throughout the course of the fight, although towards the back end, stamina seemed to play a factor in Jonas's part, but she'd done enough for me throughout the majority of the fight to be able to take that decision deservedly on the cards and win a third belt in the way, and that's three fights, three belts, and 2022 has certainly been her year, and for me now, there's an argument to say that she's probably the best British boxer of the year. Take away the gender from it, and to me, she's the one that's performed the best fight after fight in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I I think to me it's her and Lee Wood are probably like the two most notable, and most people probably don't give them any credit. I think with Lee Wood, I think if he would have got the fight with Mauricio Lara, and we would have saw how that would have played out, win, lose, or draw. Maybe you could have been in with a shout. The fight against Conlon is definitely a contender for fight of the year. That's something I'll 100% agree on. But, I mean, in terms of British fighters this year alone, there's no real fighter that, to me, compares like to, to Natasha Jonas's feats this year. I mean, she's won three belts in three fights. I mean, what more do you do? In, in the sport to, to be crowned fighter of the year, especially on the British side. Like, I can't think of any one fighter off the top of my head now that has done anything more than her to deserve that mantelpiece as fighter of the year. Even on the male side, like if you want to split the genders down the middle and say, right, who's the best male boxer of the year in the UK? You mentioned Lee Wood. 
I don't really think there's too many others that I could honestly sit there and say have impressed me that much or done that much in the space of this year that would warrant that mantelpiece of best British fighter of the year other than her. I mean, they've all either lost or embarrassed themselves. And in Joshua's case, he did both. He lost and embarrassed himself. In Connor Ben's uh, case, he just embarrassed himself. There's been a bad streak of uh, UK fighters kind of losing. Yeah, but then even like Fury, like he knocks out Dillian White at Wembley in April. And then he's now fighting Derry Chisora in a fight that nobody wants to see. Regardless of what happens in that fight, that doesn't make Tyson Fury fighter of the year in my book whatsoever. The one competitive fight with Dillian White was the only one for me that that would give him any sort of recognition this year. But that would be it. Other than that, all he spent the last six months doing is talking about wanting to fight Joshua, wanting to fight a blown up middleweight in Usyk. None of that happening then potentially fighting Mahmoud Char and now fighting Derek Chisora. So that's not justifiable for him to, to get that mantelpiece as, as fighter of the year. So that's why I'm going out on a limb and saying Jonas gets fighter of the year for me in, in both sides of the gender because there's nobody else that's done it. What did you think of the fight? Like Generally, what did you think of her performance? I mean, it was fine. Like She she looked like the better fighter. De Carey, or however you pronounce the name, she's awkward. Like, there, I don't think you're going to sit down and go, man, I can't wait to see her fight. Um, and that's no discredit to her. She's a great athlete. She's good at winning. But her style of fighting, to me, when she's most effective, she's negating what the other person's doing. She's not a fighter who creates action. She kind of stops action. So I just thought that Jonas did what she had to do in order to win this bout. So it's a good victory for her. And when we was talking in the build-up to it, a lot about what happens next for her, the one name that she didn't really mention was Terry Harper. And Terry Harper made light of that on social media. She mentioned Clarissa Shields coming down in weight to maybe fight her. And she's not really talked about the Terry Harper fight, which is the one I mentioned quite a lot in the preview. And I think that, that for me, that's the logical fight. You know, if I'm Natasha Jonas... Do you chase the the glory and the big money payday of a Clarissa Shields fight, or do you look at trying to become undisputed in the division that you're already dominating? I mean, two big big options for her. She's 38 years of age, not getting any younger. She's had a really great year. Can she repeat this feat next year? It remains to be seen, but I can't see it being the case. I think this will be her defining year in the sport. I think whatever comes after it now is is a bonus for her. That's just my opinion. I mean, I think she's accomplished what she needed to accomplish. She's proven that she's a British legend through this year and through the way that she came back. And I think that was in jeopardy prior to this year. So now she always can look back at this one year and say, this is my credentials to be to prove how great of a fighter I was at some point. Yeah, and that's the worry I had four years ago when she got beat. And I thought, my word, she isn't going to fulfil that potential that she had in the Olympic Games 2012 and that she'll she'll never get there. She'll be another Luke Campbell who, who failed to live up to his potential in the professional ranks. So it was always a worry, like, as a fan, that she wouldn't get there. But 
the fact that she's got there and achieved what she's achieved so far is is amazing. And if she can unify the division, become undisputed in the division, should I say, and and get all the belts, that'd be an amazing way to end a career. But it sounds more like they're looking for maybe a, a, a bigger fight, a fight that might actually provide more monetary value to her which I wouldn't begrudge if she wanted to take a fight against Shields and Shields decides to to sort of move down because she can make super welterweight then why not why would why would Shields not want to do it you know she just wants to keep creating history herself so it'd be a very interesting fight should that happen but we'll see it was a it was a good fight I enjoyed it as a main event I thought it had what it needed to have to to keep me happy as a as a fan because the card itself, uh, on paper, it, it looked pretty average. Uh, it turned out to be pretty average, barring uh, a couple of fights on the card. Uh, one of the prospects we've spoke about before, Bradley Ray and Tyler Denny, turned out to be uh, a, a really exciting fight. Uh, Bradley Ray couldn't get going in that fight, Lukey. It was uh, quite frustrating for me as a fan and as a friend of Bradley to, to look at him and just see that he wasn't able to get through the gears and that Tyler Denny was using his size disadvantage to actually work on the inside of Bradley Ray whereas Bradley Ray was just looking for sort of a straight one two all the way through the course of the fight and when he does eventually land in in round nine and he hurts Tyler Denny to the body that's when we really get the fight kicking on a little bit but overall Tyler Denny made his size work to his advantage in this fight and he deservedly got the win over Bradley who I think will come again and who I think will learn from this fight but it, it was it was a pretty competitive fight through throughout the course of it, and I think the right man won on the night, uh, and I think Young Bradley will come again. Yeah, I mean, I think these are. It reminds me of like fights like James DeGale versus George Groves, where in UK boxing, more so than American boxing, you really have talented fighters face each other, and they're not condemned for losing a fight. Uh, I personally think round nine of this fat this fight was a round of the year contender. I don't think it's the best round of the year, but it was one of the better rounds I saw all year. I'd agree with that. I think it was one of the better rounds we've seen this year. Uh, I mean, this conversation we'll have maybe on our, our sort of shooting the breeze episode about this sort of year in general, your thoughts and feelings on that. But, you know, I think there's been a limited amount of, of round of the year contenders this year in terms of, of fights that have really lived up or delivered uh, I think this was one that maybe delivered more than what I expected it to. I think I thought Bradley Ray would win this fight, like being totally honest prior to it. And I did try to take away, you know, any type of bias towards him, towards him and, and knowing him and stuff. And I thought that, you know, he would be able to use his size and his strength advantages over the smaller man and, and, and beat him. But, you know, it didn't turn out that way for him and Tyler Denny continues on his on his path and Bradley Ray goes down a different path this time round and, and hopefully he makes the changes he needs to make to to be a better fighter in his in his in his return to the ring. So it was it was nice to see him in action. It's just a shame it didn't go his way this time round. I don't think that discounts him from being a prospect. I think he's just got something to learn before he, he moves forward in his career and sometimes that loss could be the greatest thing that happens to a fighter as you know. So we'll see how it affects him coming back off the back of this fight as well. So, Dalton Smith, Casey Benjamin, British super lightweight title. Did you watch it? What did you think of it? I watched a little bit. I'm all in on the Dalton Smith experiment. Um, Didn't really have an opinion. Watched it, serviceable boxing, but it didn't... 
it didn't leave me feeling like okay i have a good sense of where this guy's ceiling is it was a good fight it was competitive it was a competitive fight and i think it was good that dalton smith got the rounds in against a guy who i think i underrated a little bit in casey benjamin i, I did think that maybe dalton smith would maybe blow him away in the mid to late rounds but actually casey benjamin was there to stay throughout the course and he, he gives some things for Dalton Smith to think about, which was good for, for Dalton and his progression. And I think sometimes a fighter does need that. You know, he needs a fighter that's going to come and test him, that's going to make him work a different way, that's going to make him fight on the back foot if he needs to. And I, and I think that's what we saw in this fight, was that Dalton Smith, used to fighting on the front foot for the majority, had to fight on the back foot at certain points of this fight to be able to get through the fight and, and win it comfortably. And, you know, he did a good job of winning the fight. It's just one of them fights where I felt like it was a, a really good learning experience. And, and moving forward for him, you know, they're talking about him fighting again and defending his British title again because... In Britain, if they fight and win the Lord Lonsdale belt and they defend it three times, they win the belt outright and they get their own version of the belt, you know, at home, which is which is great for them and it's a, a prestige and a heritage thing in British boxing. So I think it will be really, really good for him to get another British title fight before he then moves forward. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply on the European level and, and starts to maybe look at challenging some higher level opposition. But I'm still all on board for him. I'm still all on board for, for what he brings to the table. And it was interesting to see him overcome different spells of adversity throughout the course of the fight. So very much still on board with him. So they were they were the three main fights on this card that I thoroughly enjoyed. Fraser Clark is a heavyweight that has been hyped up he needs to move his career along pretty quick. He's turned over very late because of his established amateur career. And he went six rounds with Camille Sokolowski, a very well-known Polish journeyman. He fights a lot of the UK prospects. And he stuck the way through this fight and give Fraser Clark rounds. But then I wasn't sure whether Fraser Clark looked a little bit flat in this particular fight and whether maybe we didn't see the best of him or whether it was just Kamil Sokolowski did his job as a journeyman, and he gave him the rounds he needed. 
I mean, this is the thing when you turn pro later in life, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. So if you turn pro later, the expectation is greater. It's not unlike life. If you're 35 years old and you're struggling figuring out your career, people are going to judge you much more than if you're 21 years old. It's just the way it is. The older you get, the more expectation is expected upon you because they expect people expect year after year for you to progress. So I think that the to believe that Fraser Clark had a bad performance is a fair assessment because given his pedigree and given his age, he doesn't really get to have bad performances at this stage in his career. I thought, to be honest with you, he did what he needed to do to win the fight. And he just, it was like he was just wanting the rounds in this fight. It was like he just wanted to get that time in the ring because when he's fighting guys and he's sort of blowing them away, he's not getting the time he needs in the ring. I mean, that's just one of the things for me that I always maintain about Joshua's career. Anthony Joshua, you know, very early on in his career, he was blowing opponents away very quickly and he weren't getting that experience that I felt he needed. Although, obviously, he goes on to win titles, of course, and he goes on to, you know, create a little bit of his own history. I think there were moments there where, you know, he was he was being spoon-fed opponents that were there to make him look pretty good and, and and him blowing them opponents away wasn't giving him them really tough difficult mentally challenging rounds which he's now come up against and you know each time he's come up against some real adversity in his career he's he struggled to overcome it he struggled to overcome Andy Ruiz and he certainly couldn't overcome Alexander Usyk no matter what he tried to do and it really shown us a lot about his mentality so when you've got a guy at Fraser Clark's age who's coming in really late and, and wants to progress his career pretty quick I mean ideally do you just start to up that level of opposition pretty much immediately to see where his level is at to see where his ceiling is at rather than just waiting for him to fight another four or five guys in the next 12 months and not do anything about it he's got to move fast bro aging is real getting older is real so i mean i get that he can slowly move but given his age and given what his pedigree we're looking at someone that next year needs to be in 10 round fights look at the way joe joyce's career has gone so far like i've i'm not saying there's a perfect way to move your career along when you're an older fighter turning over but the way he's moved his career forward, the level of opposition, the way they've moved through the ranks is, to me, been pretty much as best preparation, I think, as you can get. And now look where he is. And people consider him to be one of the best heavyweights in the world. Some people put him in at number three as the third best heavyweight. Some do at number four. He certainly sits within that top four or five guys in the heavyweight division. And the way he, he was given certain fighters to fight, you know, these were guys that were former world title challengers, former champions, guys that he needed to be fighting to show where his level was at pretty quickly. And he's overcame them all, hasn't he? And he's shown that he's got the potential now to to have some really, really great matchups at the top of the heavyweight game as he's getting older. And I think that's, if I'm looking at 
Fraser Clark's career, that's the kind of the blueprint I'd be looking at is, you know, how did Joy, Joe Joyce do it? A fellow Olympian who's an older guy that's turned over, that's looking to get some success in the heavyweight game. For me, that'd be the way to do it. That'd be the ideal path for him to go down now is to start fighting guys the way Joe Joyce did and pushing himself up pretty quickly. Because let's be honest, you're only a couple of wins away in the heavyweight division from being within that top 10 because outside of the big names, it's pretty dire. I mean, it's pretty bad, bro. It's pretty bad, you know. Um, I, I mean, Joe, I get what you're saying with Joe Joyce, but isn't Frazier about the same age as Joe Joyce currently? Yeah. See, that's the issue is, like, I just feel like he has to get kind of in the – because Joe Joyce is now an interim world champion. He has some positioning. Frazier Clark is literally a prospect right now, and he's one of the oldest prospects we've ever seen. So I just – not to be critical, I think he's a good fighter, but I just think that when you come in at this age with this pedigree, you got to hit the ground running a little bit more. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think that's kind of, for me, that's what I'd want to see for him. Now, in the next 12 months, I'd want to see him fight another four or five times, but be stepping it up every time. Because that's the only way he's going to quickly move on within this sport and quickly be able to get himself into position. And like I said, and like you agree, with heavyweight game being dire, other than the top four or five guys in the world, there's a good chance he could put himself into contention pretty quickly, especially if he steps up over the next 12 months. It'd be very interesting to see how quickly they move him along. And like you said, ageing is real. The ageing process is real. So all them years he spent as an amateur, well, he needs to quickly hurry up with his professional career, in my opinion, to actually get some level of success moving forward. So that's Fraser Clark. Uh, the rest of that particular card was made up by Videl Riley getting a victory over Ross McGuigan, Jack Kilgannon getting a victory, Dylan Chima losing the prospect versus the journeyman. The journeyman gets the nod on this occasion. And then Clark Smith beating Dale Arrowsmith. They were the main fights. They were the That was the card in its entirety in Manchester. But there was, of course, the exhibition that followed the Natasha Jonas fight. That was Ricky Hatton looking to basically put his career to bed on his own turf, fighting Marco Antonio Barrera in an eight two-minute round exhibition which was really, really nice and nostalgic to see Ricky Hatton and was very strange to see because it was like looking at an old Hatton's head on a young Hatton body. It was quite strange to see how phenomenal he got himself into shape. But then obviously looking at how he's aged, he's like 44 now. It was um, quite a strange affair, to be honest with you. But it made me start to think about these exhibitions and, and, and how these exhibitions are starting to creep up more and more with many ex-fighters starting to do this more and more and like with Hatton it makes me wonder has he really put them demons to bed will he come back after maybe feeling good in there you know like they get that hit of adrenaline with the atmosphere again and and going in the ring and and feeling okay and you know feeling like things are still ticking the way maybe they, they once did at some point is there always going to be a risk, Lukey, of a fighter like that wanting to do it more and more again? I mean, it's. I always think of it, and I think uh, that there's an MMA podcast. Chad Dundas and Ben Folks have the co-main event podcast, and they always kind of refer to it as like the alcoholic working at the bar. And I've kind of stole that phrase. So, like when a boxer comes back, all of a sudden, oh man, I'm pretty good. Now you start to see the training videos, and it's like it. It's one of those things where. It's not unlike an alcoholic working at the bar. He says he's not going to take drinks. He just likes the atmosphere. 
you know trouble's kind of around the corner. That's what worries me with Hatton, because he's, uh, he's really struggled like mentally over the years since his career officially ended in 2012. And for the last 10 years, he's been up and down. He's uh, had some really, really bad moments that have been publicised. And I feel like, you know, hopefully this was the curtain call for him that he needed just to sort of say goodbye to, to boxing inside of the ring the way he wanted to because he didn't go out the way he wanted to and I mean some fighters accept it and move on some people don't and he's one of those that just wasn't able to accept it and I just hope that you know he doesn't want to do this again the general consensus and the feeling is that from the interviews he's done in the aftermath of this exhibition is that he actually might want to do this again and the one person that he's targeting that he's always felt hard done to against was Floyd Mayweather who has also obviously fought this weekend as well on that exhibition that he was involved in so you know there's a there's a risk there that he might just decide you know actually I, I wouldn't mind that again Floyd Mayweather's fighting sometimes twice a year in exhibitions so I'm pretty sure Mayweather would take a big paycheck to come to the UK and fight Ricky Hatton because why wouldn't he he's getting paid for just having glorified sparring sessions against YouTubers. Why would he not want to fight someone he's already fought professionally before and get paid handsomely for it? Again, is there any interest in stuff like this? It just speaks to how uninteresting boxing is when seeing 45-year-old Floyd Mayweather is a pay-per-view attraction because we're getting Jaime Munguia fighting some random middleweight and that's what the networks are putting on. So... It really is the fighters of this generation. This I've said it before. This is the only generation that didn't retire the fighters of the previous generation. And it's so much so that that we'd rather watch the fighters from the previous generation than this current iteration of fighters. And that's where we're at. We need better match. Yeah, we do. Badly, we need better matchups. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to talk a little bit more about that in our little Shoot the Breeze episode that we're doing. Um, but it was just interesting to sort of see the general feeling around what was going on. It was very mixed. There was a lot of people that loved the nostalgia of Hatton being back in the ring again. But then there was a lot of people that felt like, you know, this, this shouldn't really be happening. You know, why are these two guys doing it? Barrera, you could tell he, he wasn't really that bothered. He was just doing it for... A, a friend in Hatton and, and some that Hatton needed, but there seems to be more and more appetite for it, especially like you say, when Mayweather is getting put on pay-per-view still and still making money off his name and just going in there and, and just having glorified sparring sessions and making it just look very simple against guys that are, you know, like they, they, they want to be a boxer or they've got this ambition to maybe try and transition into the sport. And then when they come up against someone like that, who's one of the greatest fighters of all time, just makes it look so, so easy, even at 45. I think the way Mayweather's going, he could do this till he's bloody 65. You know, the way he's going and the generation shift and the way people from different entertainment things in the world are, are transitioning over and thinking that they can do it. It's like... In the UK, in the past, they've had like sort of celebrity boxing that's happened, and it's always been for charity, and it's more like a sort of a white collar, unlicensed fight against two celebrities that are well known in the UK, and they all do it for a good cause, and we know it's not serious, but you know it's getting like the generation in the UK now, and and in the US as well, where you know like you got YouTubers, you've got people from the entertainment world coming over and thinking, you know, I quite fancy a piece of this, but the reality of it is. You know, these guys could get seriously hurt. I mean, Mayweather's not out there to seriously hurt somebody. He's just getting, picking up that money like he loves to do 
and doing it in a nice, easy fashion for himself. But, you know, you can imagine there's fighters out there that would probably love to uh, seriously hurt some of these guys trying it. I mean, I think that it's also, like, one of these fights is going to have a weird ending, and it's going to have repercussions to boxing. And I don't even watch these exhibition fights. I didn't watch Floyd's fight yesterday. I saw, like, clips on the internet. But what scares me is if something goes wrong, boxing will be condemned for what these fights are doing. And that's the worry. That is the worry. You get people wanting to boycott the sport because of the farce that other people are turning it into. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem. We'll definitely talk about that in our Shoot the Breeze show in more detail. But I suppose really to round up this show, I always come to you when you come on the show because of your breadth of knowledge of US cards and US fighters. And whilst I've obviously seen some of the fights from over the weekend, I always love to hear your take. And and so do our listeners as well. So you talked about... Montana Love, but we've not talked about Chani Beck versus Denzel Bentley as well, and and Senessa Estrada uh, and Charlie Sheehy, you know, all having victories over the weekend. But the surprising one was Denzel Bentley going the distance with Chani Beck, which I genuinely thought that he would stop him relatively early on in this fight. So, what did you make of the performance? Was it just lackluster from Chani Beck, or was it just a, a good showing from Bentley? I mean, it's hard for me to not separate that Felix Cash stopped this guy in three rounds. It's hard for me to not remember that and then compare that to Jenny Beck. I think the issue with Jenny Beck is he's still a relatively young pro. He's got like 16 or 17 pro fights. I think that when he's at 22 fights, he might be the best middleweight in the world. But he's kind of getting rushed into this position because there's nobody in middleweight. This is no man's land. Carlos Adamis is probably the third best middleweight because he's actually fighting. Golovkin fought once this year at 40 years old and was in the most meaningful middleweight fight. The second best fighter, Jamar, Jamal Charlo, hasn't fought in basically two years. So, I mean, this is a division where there's not much traction. There's not much exciting fights being made. And Janabek staying active basically vaulted him into this position of being a world champion. So I think that the issue was I expected if he was going to get the praise of, of one of the best fighters in the world, I held him to the standard of having a performance of one of the best fighters in the world. And he didn't know. That's the thing. He didn't, he didn't, he looked pretty, it looked pretty average to me, to be honest. I didn't think it was uh it was his best performance, and, and I think Denzel Bentley certainly had his stock risen. Uh, you've got a great, obviously, the newsletter on your on your website, itrboxing.com website, called Stock Up, Stock Down, and I think that's a, a really good one to go and check out for everybody listening because you kind of get the feeling of, of how this weekend's action has, has risen certain fighters' stock and certainly plummeted other fighters and I think Chani Beck is certainly one of them where it's uh, it's definitely decreased his stock anyway in, in, in this fight and then obviously we mentioned Montana Love at the, the start of the show who seemed to be on a really good trajectory and then after this you know where does he go from here do you know it's, it's the sort of questions you start to ask yourself when, when these incidents do occur uh, any other standout moments or terrible moments from the weekend in the US that you wanted to highlight uh, Danger Muratala getting a stoppage over Miguel Caveman Contreras. It might not mean a lot to many people, but that's a pretty big win for a guy that's a prospect that basically, in my opinion, creates him as a contender level fighter as opposed to a prospect. 
And beyond that, I think Charlie Sheehy just continuing to look like a guy who's capable of being in six and eight round fights, looking the part of someone that shouldn't be in four round fights anymore. That's a big deal for a young fighter. Beyond that, I think Thomas Matisse's win over Christian Tapia. Matisse has like a majority decision loss to Isak Cruz, split decision to a fighter on top rank. He's a very good fighter. He's been a hard luck fighter. And to get a win over an undefeated fighter was a big moment for him. And what about Emmanuel Rodriguez losing to uh, a guy with a 50-50 record? That was Manuel something. Manzo. Manuel yeah. Manzo, the, the legendary guy from Fresno, California. Once major ticket seller. I mean, came in overweight and then something weird things happen, you know? Yeah, it's boxing for you. Like we've said, I mentioned Dylan Chima's loss as well to uh, a journeyman Jordan Ellison on the UK circuit as well this past weekend. And it happens. It does. You know, these guys can overlook their opponents, don't come in with the right weight, which is uh, something Tommy Fury did over the weekend as well, which uh, I'm saving it purposely for, for our little Shoot the Breeze episode. But it's a conversation that we can certainly expand on in, in that episode. But in terms of a roundup of the weekend, then... That is pretty much everything that we've got to cover from the weekend. It was an enjoyable one. It was okay. I'm going to say it's enjoyable. Some fights were, some fights weren't. It was a pretty bang average weekend. And it's uh, pretty depressing, really, because there's nothing major going on the following weekend. So, you know, we're not really going to do a big fight preview because... I can't really say there's a big fight to justify talking about next weekend. Jaime Mungui is in action. I mean, there's some fights here in the UK scene on the Frank Warren card on BT Sport. Anthony Yard getting a tune-up before Baturbiev. I mean, that's about it. Uh, it's pretty lacklustre. We're having a weekend off next weekend. But we've got a lot to talk about in general with this whole exhibition saga, Tommy Fury. So we are bringing you another episode. If you've enjoyed this episode and you've got any thoughts, feelings and opinions on all of the conversations, all the opinions on what we've said about certain fighters' futures, where they go from here, any thoughts on exhibitions, what happens to Ricky Atten in the future, should he stay retired now? Love to hear it from you. You can tweet us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, find us on TikTok as well. And finally, a big shout out to our patrons of the podcast. Thank you as always for your support. And that is it for this Big Fight Preview. We will be back with that Shoot the Breeze episode. And we'll be back in around two weeks' time with another Big Fight Preview for a great fight weekend coming up. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.